The Rangers continued their winning ways, winning four straight out of the break on a wild walk-off wild pitch against the Rays. On today's show, I'm breaking down who is the most valuable Rangers young player, who they should trade for, and more. All that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on the Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Paddock, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan since 2010, the founder and host for all five seasons of this Locked On Rangers podcast. Today is Tuesday, July 18th, and your Rangers are 56 and 39, alone atop the AL West in first place, three and a half games ahead of those Houston Astros. Thank y'all so much for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Paddock. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. Subscribe on YouTube, where the best way you can help grow the show is to comment nearly any single thing below. And thank you to all of you who have subscribed. We have finally hit 2,500 subscribers on YouTube in just under two years of being on there. So thank you all so much for listening and subscribing, even if you aren't listening right now. But if you are listening right now and haven't hit that subscribe button, we're going for 3,000. So let's go ahead and keep those coming. Before we get into today's show, this episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now, the Rangers won yet again in comeback fashion and in dramatic fashion as well. Walk off, wild pitch, and a weird way, but a good way to win in a a way that shows that the Rangers are continuing to win in different ways. I talked a little bit on yesterday's show about the sweep showing the Rangers doing something they hadn't done before and, and having a lot of comeback victories was, was not something this team had done before. But in the first half, the Rangers were 1-23 when trailing after six innings. Since the, since the break... They are three and oh, four and 23 now when losing after six innings. One of those wins was Friday, one of those wins was Sunday, and one was Monday. And Ezekiel Duran was a huge, huge reason why the Rangers were able to make that comeback win stick. Um, but I do want to get to Dane Dunning. I want to start with Dane Dunning, who had a rough start, a rough couple of first innings, a, you know, a rough first inning, I should say, just one run allowed, and, you know, got hit in the foot with a liner. Thankfully, he was okay and was able to pitch through it. And, you know, it looked like he was having a little bit of trouble commanding the strike zone with that early walk to Wander Franco and then allowed that one run on a sack fly, then allowed a home run to the brother of Nathaniel Lowe, Josh Lowe, into the right field bullpen. The Rangers were down 2 nothing after two innings, and you thought, okay, well, this is going to be really tough because the Rangers are facing off against Shane McClanahan. McClanahan was just coming off the IL. He did not pitch in the All-Star game, even though he was selected as an all-star participant, probably would have started the all-star game, honestly, if he was healthy, but he hadn't pitched in 17 days, and he came back, and he looked like he did not miss a single beat. I mean, Marcus Simeon did lead off with a leadoff single, but Corey Seager hit into a double play, and through the first five innings, McClanahan faced the minimum. He was absolutely electric in that game against the Rangers. He didn't throw all that many pitches, only 69 pitches, but that's all he needed to get through six innings, but he did not get out unscathed when he had faced the minimum in after those five innings, he started the sixth inning, of course, with the leadoff single from who else but Robbie Grossman, who I just 
got through talking a lot of trash about yesterday. I did say, I did say he should face lefties. He is good against lefties. That is something he has done very well in his career, and he has done well this year. He led off the inning with an infield singer to Wander Franco. It was a play that Wander Franco... I don't think he could have made. I don't think he could have done it much better. It was very, very well placed. And of course, Grossman, who is a little bit on the older side, I believe he's 33 or something, still has above average speed, above average sprint speed, which is one of the things that he does bring to the table, even if his glove is not that great. Because we did see Leody Tavares starting in left field over Robbie Grossman, which I think is a good thing for the Rangers, something that should continue moving forward. I think that Grossman's defense has been bad for several years the advanced metrics lay that out but he can be valuable against lefty pitching he did that by beating out a infield single then the best at bat i think i've ever seen from ezekiel duran is what followed he ended up homering on a fastball from shane mcclanahan to the opposite field, his first opposite field home run of the season. This is how the at-bat started off. Jamie McClanahan has a really, really good pitcher for a number of reasons, not just because he throws hard. Actually, that's not even really a big reason why he's so successful. He is one of the hardest-throwing lefties in the game, but that is not the reason. He is a complete pitcher. He is a guy who has one of the best lefty changeups in all of baseball. He's got good breaking balls as well, and he knows how to pitch very, very well outside of just having really, really nasty stuff. And he started Ezekiel Duran with a changeup 86 miles an hour down and away. He fouled that off. Then he brought the changeup up 86 right about where that that home run pitch was and Ezekiel Duran swung through it then he's down 0-2 immediately um, right after that leadoff single and you thought okay well the Rangers gonna do anything with this still down to nothing against Shane McClanahan it doesn't feel like this is a recipe for success then he gets an 88 mile an hour changeup down below the zone that he takes very very good take by him um, a little bit faster than the other ones at 88 miles an hour then a 97 mile an hour fastball away outside of the zone, outside of the zone, you know, about, you know, chest high, but still something that Ezekiel Duran has shown the ability to do. He's been able to hit high fastballs, which is something that pitchers nowadays are using very effectively. And if you're, if you're a guy who can hit fastballs with that velocity and that spin rate up in the zone, especially as a guy who's a little bit shorter, that is a big, big boost for him. The catcher wanted it down just a little bit more, more belt high than, than chest high but it's still a fastball out of the zone that Ezekiel Duran absolutely launched into the right field bullpen. It was 105.2 miles an hour off the bat, 418 feet. For, like I said, his first opposite field home run of the season. And he only had one opposite field home run last year. This is not a guy who has a lot of power to the opposite field. And that's why it was so impressive to me. Not just that it was a two-strike home run, which is something this team does very well is hitting with two strikes. But the fact that he was able to, you know, this is the first fastball he saw in that at bat and he took it to the opposite field something he had not done before that is showing a growth a completeness as a hitter and he had been I just talked yesterday about how Ezekiel Duran had been in a rough way offensively and for him to have that at bat was just absolutely phenomenal it was so impressive it was one of the most impressive at bats I've seen from a ranger this year like just the progression of it what it meant in that situation and who it was against is just such a huge huge moment oh yeah and also it tied the game up it tied the game up for the rangers against the best team in the american league so far this season and the rangers were able to walk it off look the bottom of this order the bottom third of this order coming up huge and that this is something that 
that the Rays' bottom third of their order did not do coming up. We're going to get into why I think the Rangers' offense is more complete than the Rays. A little bit of a look at the trio of youngsters, who is the most valuable, and a couple of trade targets that just to keep your mind on for now. But first, let's word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you'll have. They've got flash deals and last-minute tickets. It's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% the difference. Get images of your seats before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Shout out to the Everydayers for making Locked On Raiders your first listen every single day. On tomorrow's show, I'll be talking about why the AL West is so winnable this season for the Rangers. Texas takes on the Rays this week. You can catch every pitch with the hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, one thing that the Rangers' bottom third of their order did was come up huge. You had the two-run home run by Ezekiel Duran, who was hitting eighth, and the two-hit game by Robbie Grossman, who was hitting seventh in the order. Um, also had a double for Robbie Grossman. Um, but I mean, don't 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 look at Ezekiel or uh, Leody Tavares because he's he's not making my point in this specific instance. But there was another big shot for the Rays to take advantage and keep building on that lead. But Dane Dunning kept the bottom third of that order down. It was in the fourth inning. Rangers runners on second and third, and the number eight hole hitter Taylor Walls came up, and Dane Dunning had a runner on third with with you know less than two outs, a sack fly, a you know anything to you know deep in deep in the infield or just anything to the outfield would score that run and would have given the Rays a three run lead. But Dane Dunning stepped up big and was able to get a strikeout when he needed it. Struck out Taylor Walls, kept it um kept it close. And then Christian Bethencourt, he got to fly out lazily to right field, the number eight and nine hitters for the Rays not coming up where the Rangers number eight and nine hitters did come up. Those three were a combined um Ofer where we go. Oh, I guess Josh Lowe is in the bottom third of that order and, and did have a home run in this game. So kind of not really proving my point, but just look at the number eight hitter. We're, we're going to go with that specifically, Taylor Walls versus Ezekiel Durant. So, I mean, this lineup is very, very deep for the Rays. I do still think that the Rangers lineup is a little bit deeper because the Rangers don't have anybody in their lineup with a sub, well, I guess, I don't know if if, if he's if he's up there yet, Um, but they don't have anybody with a, yeah, no, no sub, um, 650 OPS guys in their lineup, whereas the Rays do have that in their lineup. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit nitpicky um, if you're wanting to pick some nits. I do think that the Rangers have a slight edge there, but it's also a huge credit to Dane Dunning, who was absolutely nails after those first couple of shaky innings. End of the day with seven innings pitched, just two runs, five hits, one walk, 
one solo homer, and four strikeouts. Then you got great pitching performances from Jose Leclerc coming in in a tie game in the eighth inning, getting a perfect inning with one strikeout. And then Araldis Chapman, who was very, very good in the top, top of the ninth inning, struck out the side in order, hit 103 miles an hour on the radar gun, and finished it off with a strikeout looking on a full count splitter right down the middle that the hitter could do absolutely nothing with. Very, very impressive outing for Chapman, who got the win in this one. And then start off in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Rangers start off with a leadoff double from Josh Young, who is hitting third in this one because of the lefty on the mound. Hits that massive, massive double. Jose Siri does not play that very well, and the ball gets to the wall. And Josh Young, he's not an elite speed guy, but he was able to get to second base pretty easily on that one. And then the Rangers making smart moves by Bruce Bochy, seeing these little moves. I mean, even the top of the ninth inning um, with Travis Jankowski coming in and pinch guys defensive substitution for Ezekiel Durant, having your best outfield defensively out there after, um, after the eighth inning at bat from Ezekiel Durant, where he ended up striking out with a runner in scoring position, but it's fine. He had come through earlier in the game. And it, it's fine. It, it's definitely a forgivable moment. It was, it was kind of surprising to see the Rangers not come up after that Robbie Grossman leadoff double. I mean, the Rays got Ezekiel Durant to strike out on three pitches. The Rays got Leo Tavares to strike out on three pitches. They did walk Marcus Simeon, but there you go. Okay, you got to walk Marcus Simeon to get to Corey Seager, who hit a weak fly ball to shallow center field that I believe it was the shortstop who made that play in Wander Franco. But I was kind of surprised that in in those four guys coming up, none of them got a hit with runners in scoring position. The Rangers were actually 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. The only hit with a runner on base was that home run from Ezekiel Duran. Interesting um, turn of events there, but hey, the Rangers did what they needed to and won how they needed to. I mean, it took a, a double from from Josh Young, then pinch running Josh Smith for Josh Young, who is just that little bit faster, maybe more than a little bit faster, um, but then a productive out from, uh, not Josh, uh, Nathaniel Lowe um, to get him over to third base, and then a wild pitch in a 1-1 count to Mitch Garver from Pete Fairbanks, former Ranger great, ended up scoring the go-ahead run, the winning run, the walk-off run, a walk-off wild pitch. What a weird way to end it and just kind of a sign that the Rangers are hot. They are feeling it and they are maybe the best team in the American League. I mean, the, the American League crown, the number one you know seed in that playoff race, that playoff hunt is available. I mean, this Rays team, they started off incredibly good. Incredibly good with that, what, 13 straight games won. But in the month of July, they have really, really come back down to earth. They had a seven-game losing streak. Um, it nearly had an eight-game losing streak heading into the All-Star break. And they did come out with winning two out of three against the Royals in Kansas City, which, okay, fine. That's not anything that's all that impressive. But in the month of July, they are three and nine. Three and nine. That is really going to put the Rangers slump into perspective. The Rangers still do have a winning record in the month of July, even with those early July struggles. They are seven and six in the month of July. They were 18 and nine in May, 14 and 13 in June. So it seems like they are on pace to not have a losing month at all. And one thing that the Rays did with that seven game losing streak that the Rangers have not done. Rangers only had a four-game losing streak. That is their longest losing streak. That was when they got swept by the Reds, and I believe the first game of the series against the Yankees before the Rangers 
ended up, I believe, coming back to take, you know, the last three out of four against Yankees. Or maybe it was one game heading into the Red Series. Uh, uh, anyway, all I know is that that was the only time that the Rangers have gotten swept was in that series against the Reds, which doesn't look as bad in hindsight, seeing what the Reds are doing now, uh, but definitely did not feel good at the time. But the Rangers mitigating those long losing streaks, having a guy like Bruce Bochy at the helm, I feel like is a really guy who can, you know, pump the brakes when things are starting to spiral out of control kind of get this team centered even when the fan base and it feels like everyone around them is like oh wow this team is actually fraudulent i don't really know how good this team is having bruce bochi there to kind of write that ship that is the kind of influence that he has on this team and a reason that i am incredibly grateful for the rangers signing him bring him out of retirement to come and coach this team and i think might be the most important offseason acquisition the rangers have made in the past two two off seasons yeah maybe more important than, eh. Probably not more important than Marcus Simeon or Corey Seager, what they're doing this year. Maybe more important than Jacob DeGrom. Probably will help the Rangers a lot more than Jacob DeGrom this year, just because DeGrom only pitched for a month. It might not help them more than Nathan Yavali, but still, it, it's just a different kind of impact that is incredibly difficult to quantify, but you can see it in the team. You can see it in their mannerisms, the way that they, you know, conduct themselves the way that the bullpen has been just all kinds of different little things that are very hard to quantify, but all, add up to be a massive, massive impact that Bruce Bochy is making on this team. Coming up, we're going to look at the three youngsters in Josh Young, Ezekiel Duran, and Leo DeVaris. Which of them is most valuable, and how willing to part with them in a trade would I be at this moment? But first, this word from our sponsors. Shout out to the Everydayers for making Locked on Rays your first listen every single day. On Thursday's show, I'll be doing a crossover with Locked on Rays to break down this crucial series against Tampa Bay. The Rangers take on the Rays this week. You can catch every pitch with the hometown broadcast on SiriusXM. Just download the SXM app and search Rangers. Now, this is a little exercise that baseball prospectus used to do a whole lot when they would release their top 10. Actually, I think they might still do it. When they release their top 10 prospect rankings of top talents 25 and under to kind of also include the young talents on the big league roster in terms of, you know, the young farm development. And I, I think that's that's something that is very valuable, especially when the Rangers are approaching a trade deadline where there are going to be some pretty big asking prices for some of these guys that could potentially give the Ranger, make the Rangers World Series favorites, including Shohei Otani, um, which is an episode I'll, I'll get into later. I want to do a crossover with the Locked On Angels boys to see what kind of trade package that might be. I think it, the Rangers will consider it but I don't know if it'll end up happening. But I do still want to talk about these top three young guys. And and this is this is my order that I would rank these young trio in. I would say Josh Young is probably the most valuable of these three. Then I would go uh, Leody Tavares and then Ezekiel Duran. Now, Josh Young is 25 years old. He is the oldest of this bunch, but he also has the most you know years of control. He is signed. If someone traded for him now, they would get five and a half years of Josh Young. Leo Tavares has four years after this season. Ezekiel Durant has five years of control after this season. Leo is 24 years old. He will be turning 25 in, I believe, September. Um, and Ezekiel Durant is the youngest of this bunch. He just turned 24 in May of this season. But in terms of these guys, I mean, they all have really, really high upsides. And they are, you know, fulfilling some of the, the best, the highest, like, reasonable expectation that anyone could have had for any of these guys. I'm the least surprised of it um, by it by Josh Young doing this because he is the oldest of the bunch. He probably could have been a big league regular three years ago, and I've just been very impressed and very high on him for many, many years. Um, I think that of these three, 
Leoti has the highest ceiling in terms of the best case scenario of what he could be because there there's still another level to Leoti. I think there's still definitely another level. He is 24 years old. We've seen the power. That is really what's going to separate him and the the quality at bats, the quality of at bats. Um, we've seen him have a lot of really quality at bats and, and be aggressive in, in terms of the stolen bases. But like the, the raw toolsiness, I think Leoti might have the biggest raw power of any of these guys i don't think he has anywhere near the best hit tool but he's obviously the fastest he's maybe got the strongest arm i mean right now ezekiel duran his his arm has been clocked a little bit higher than leo Tavares. leo Tavares is in the 93rd percentile of our outfielder arm strength and uh and ezekiel duran is a hundred percentile of arm strength so um yeah kind of depends on the day uh between those two but i mean a premium defensive center fielder with elite instincts in center field we've seen the the center field defense kind of lapse sometimes but i think that is that leo Tavares definitely has the highest ceiling i think that josh young is the most likely to realize that ceiling of these guys he might have the lowest actual ceiling but again it's josh young and he's already an all-star starter as a rookie so i don't want to bet on what his what his ceiling might be um but I do think that Josh Young is the most likely to improve and be the best player among this bunch. But the possibilities are endless with Leo Tavares and Ezekiel Duran as well. If the Rangers decided to make a trade for him, the, re- the only reason that Ezekiel Duran isn't the Rangers starting shortstop right now and playing above average defense at shortstop while also having an 850 plus OPS with 13 bombs on the season is because of Corey Seager. And that might eventually change in the next couple of years. So the Rangers were trading him for a guy like Shohei Otani. I, I don't know how many other teams are beating that for a rental of Otani. Not that I would do that. I, I, I might. I don't know. I haven't grappled with it yet. I haven't sat and meditated on it yet. Um, but I think that that is my my level of where I would rank these guys. I would rank all three of those guys definitely ahead of Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford, which speaking of Wyatt Langford, he will officially sign today at some point after this episode is posted or maybe in the middle of me recording it. Um, the news was broken by Jim Callis, um, who writes for MLB Pipeline. He's the senior writer there. Uh, Wyatt Langford will sign for $8 million. The slot value on that pick is 7 0.698 million dollars so he is going a little bit over slot the rangers total bonus pool was 9.9253 million dollars nine million nine hundred twenty five thousand three hundred dollars so that is the vast majority of the rangers signing bonus pool to the number four overall pick a guy who was probably the either the best or second best prospect in this draft i mean the rangers are probably feeling pretty good about him falling to them so going a little bit over slot to make sure that they get this guy is the right move. We saw their entire draft strategy after that was a lot of college pitchers and a lot of relief pitchers. So not guys who are going to command a whole lot of money, but Langford will sign for that $8 million. And there was a really nice feature in the Dallas Morning News written by Sean McFarland um, about, you know, the entire Wyatt Langford experience, the vibe of him. It kind of feels very similar to the vibe of a lot of guys in this clubhouse in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and uh, Josh Young as well. Just guys that are pretty low-key, not very loud or boisterous, just kind of like just chill and and very even-keeled vibe. And that is definitely the vibe that I got from White Langford reading that piece. And it seems like that Sean McFarland was putting out there. Very good stuff. So go check it out on DallasNews.com or in an actual local, actual physical newspaper if you are an 80-year-old man like me and like reading the actual physical newspaper. But this is a very, very good top five, you know, young player group. And 
and you know with these guys with evan carter and wyatt langford i mean it seems like right now the rangers outfield situation is pretty locked down for the next several years i mean adoles garcia is going to be under contract for three more seasons louis Tavares, like i said he's going to be here for another four years after this ezekiel Durant's going to be here for another five years after this and then that's not even including the you know six plus years of evan carter and white langford in the big leagues whenever they get there of however long they're going to be there so both of those guys are very high ceiling guys. Evan Carter, I think, could break into the big leagues by the end of the season. We still haven't seen him promoted to AAA, which I feel like has got to happen, at, honestly, almost at any minute. Um, but that kind of gives the Rangers the ability, not that I want them to trade either Carter or Langford, which they can't trade Langford until, I believe, midseason next year because they just drafted him. But if they did want to part with one of these guys, if they do feel like they have a glut of outfield talent um, and a, a glut of lineup talent, honestly, um, then they could possibly do that. One of the guys, if they're trying to make a big, big trade that is probably going to cost a lot in prospect capital, the, the guy who's at the top of my list, if you're really wanting to go all in and, and you're probably going to have to trade uh, one of Evan Carter um, or maybe Ezekiel Duran, um, probably they're probably not going to trade um leo Tavares just because he fills such an important role that the rangers can't fill internally right now and same with josh young unless or if they trade josh young and just decide to make ezekiel duran the everyday third baseman that's a possibility but i don't think they're trading either of these guys but the guy at the top of my list is of course david bednar he is the closer for the pirates the rangers saw him i believe he closed out the only win that the uh, Rangers or that the Pirates got in that series against the Rangers. He is a right-handed pitcher, six foot, 225 pounds. This is his fourth season, excuse me, fifth season in the big leagues. He is a two-time all-star, finished top 10 in rookie of the year voting with Pittsburgh in 2021. And this year he has been absolutely phenomenal as the Pirates closer. Unfortunately, they've not been able to win that many games to give him a whole bunch of save opportunities. He does have 17 saves in 36 games, a 122 ERA, 37 innings pitched, 45 strikeouts, 0.2 home runs per nine, 1.7 walks per nine, 10.9 Ks per Nine. The fielding independent pitching is 1.77. He is doing all the things that I look for in a reliever of not allowing walks, not allowing home runs barely at all, and striking a bunch of guys out. This is a guy who was an all-star last year, had a 261 ERA in 51 and two-thirds innings, 69 strikeouts, which was pretty darn nice. He also had a 223 ERA in 60 and two-thirds innings pitch with 77 strikeouts the year before with Pittsburgh. He is a little bit on the older side for a guy who has this much um you know uh i don't want to say wear and tear on his belt, but this much major league experience only pitched a couple of outings in those first two years with san diego in 2019 and 2020 then was traded to pittsburgh for joe musgrove and, and might just be the best piece that the pirates got in that deal but he has got several years of control not a free agent until 2027 he is a two-time all-star he is doing it with very very good stuff as well his chase rates in the top two percent of baseball the walk rate top seven percent of baseball whiff rate top five percent fastball velo fastball spin rate both of those in the top 10 percent of baseball he sits 96 miles an hour and it's got a lot of movement on it um, and does not not walk guys and does not allow hard contact at all this is a guy who is probably one of the best closer if not the best closer in all of baseball right now and if the rangers are wanting to spin big and make sure that they get another good right-handed arm in their pen which because they've got three really good lefties and one righty who i i trust to be much better when he, re when he comes back in josh spores but if they want some you know bad a type a closer closer guy 
then I think Bednar is probably their best bet. But if they're wanting to go a little bit cheaper on the cheaper side, if they're wanting to go a two-for-one deal, if you are not a believer in Martin Perez or in Andrew Heaney, I think the White Sox have got to be one of the teams that you're looking to scrape and vulture the parts off of a dying team. And two of those parts that I think would be very, very nice for the Rangers. One is Kendall Graveman, who is a relief pitcher for the White Sox. He has been fairly good this season. Not great. I don't think he would immediately be the Rangers closer. He's got a 307 ERA in 42 games, 41 innings pitched, um, 40 strikeouts, 19 walks. So 4.2 walks per nine, under nine strikeouts per nine. The FIP is just under five, which is not really great, but I, I think that he is going to outperform those numbers if he comes to Texas. Another guy, if the Rangers are wanting to trade for someone with a lot of years of control, not a whole lot of wear and tear on him, not a whole lot of major experience either, is probably going to cost a whole lot in Gregory Santos, who is a guy for the White Sox. He is 23 years old, has a 2.62 ERA, 42 games, 47 in the third innings, 46 strikeouts, under two walks per nine, 0.2 home runs per nine, and 8.7 Ks per nine. Throws the ball really freaking hard, averaging um, in the, where do we go? Um, give me just a second. He's in the top 2% of baseball in terms of his fastball velocity, top 5% in terms of his chase rate, a guy who would probably cost a lot, but might be worth it. Also, Lucas Giolito is another name that I would look at. And if the Rangers are wanting to go for a starter with multiple years of control, and maybe they think they can fix Dylan Cease, they can pitch more than five innings per game, then that might also be a worthy target. I'm not sure how much I'm trading for any starting pitching, um, especially any from the White Sox, who have not all been doing super well this year. But definitely some names to consider, some guys to keep your eyes out for, because I don't think that any of these guys would cost any of the, that awesome young top three of Josh Young, Leo Tavares, and Ezekiel Duran. Maybe the Rangers make it make a splash and do it for Shohei Otani, but that is an episode for another day. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing, and until next time, don't forget to enjoy first place Texas Rangers baseball.